Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Buffy and the Art of Stories, Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 17, Enemies. In particular, we'll look at whether the writers are playing fair by withholding information from the audience, repetition or escalation of the conflict between Buffy and Angel for the season, and Faith as a complex and compelling antagonist. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Enemies aired the first time on March 16, 1999. It was directed by David Grossman and written by Douglas Petrie. We start with opening conflict, which sometimes relates to the main plot, sometimes not, but is always meant to draw the viewer in. Buffy and Angel leave a movie theater. Buffy's arms are crossed. Angel stays a foot or so away from her, and they talk awkwardly about the film being artistic. Buffy says, feel like getting some hot chocolate or some cold shower? Angel says he wanted to take her somewhere fun, but it's been a long time since he's been to the movies. They've changed. Buffy says she doesn't like to get him worked up since the two of them can't actually do any of the things they saw in the movie or he might lose his soul. He tells her it doesn't take a movie to turn him on. Being around her does that just fine, but he reassures her that it's all okay. It doesn't mean he's going to lose control or feel frustrated around her. And Angel says it feels nice just to feel. And he kisses her. Faith appears as they're kissing and says, check out the lust bunnies. She tells Buffy it's time to patrol, and Angel asks, the council has you back on active duty? And she responds, finally. So we have gotten so much great exposition here through conflict, and it is all information that we need for this episode, particularly about the danger of Angel losing his soul. Not that any of us were going to forget that, but it is spelled out and about Faith having been off active duty, which we knew from last time in Doppelgangland, but now she is in with the council again, at least enough for them to have her patrolling. In the graveyard, Buffy and Faith patrol, and Faith admires how Buffy is dealing with all of this. With Angel, she says, I don't know if I could handle, you know, the way you're not handling it. Buffy starts to tell her to mind her own business, But they're interrupted by a fairly skinny demon with bad skin, horns, and a beard. Their first instinct is to attack, but he 
does the equivalent of waving a white flag and uh, says, think about how unusual this is. Demons seek slayers. He is there to make a deal with them. He has the books of ascension. Buffy shrugs. She's never heard of them. But the demon tells her they're very powerful and that the mayor would hate it if these books got into the slayer's hands. The demon wants $5,000 for them and tells them to come back the next night. Faith, who looked concerned when he mentioned the mayor, wants to stake him. But Buffy says, let him go. He seems harmless, to which Faith says, a demon's a demon. We are now reaching the story spark. We're at four minutes, 40 seconds in. And this is where we typically see the inciting incident or story spark, as I think of it, that really gets our main plot rolling. And here, right about 10%, Buffy says, she would like to know more about these books of ascension and to see them and that's part of her reason for letting the demon go and she says anything that would pin the mayor down would be great and faith says yeah it'd be great and we cut to credits so i see the demon's offer of the books and buffy being interested as what sets our plot rolling, though the plot will take some very unexpected turns from there. This is one of the longest pre-credit sequences that we have seen in Buffy. It is almost five minutes before we go to credits. And that's not typical, but there was a lot that we needed to get in there about the Ascension, the Mayor, Angel and Buffy, and Faith. And it was all done so quickly and so well that it kept us engaged. And now we have this story question about the books of Ascension, and we cut to credits. When we come back, the mayor is quizzing Faith about this demon. They're in his office. He seems a bit concerned, but then he shifts gears and tells Faith he wishes she'd pull her hair back. She has such a nice face and why hide it? Faith, though, is worried about the demon. She says, what if Buffy and the super friends find out about the books? But the mayor tells her she worries too much. It's not good for her. And he has just the thing. And he pours her a glass of milk from a pitcher on his credenza. He tells her to load up on calcium, kill the demon, and bring the books to him. When Faith asks what if Buffy gets there first... The mayor says he prefers positive thoughts. If Faith fails him in that way, well, replacing Mr. Trick was chore enough. I love the way the mayor's tone zigzags. It's very much like what we saw in Doppelgangland. One second, he's so kind and encouraging to Faith, but he also telegraphs his darker side. And this gives us as viewers more sympathy for Faith because she is getting all this affirmation and really all this love that she needs, but it is at a price. She is always on the edge with the mayor. In the library, Wesley is surprised to hear from Buffy that the demon wanted cash. Xander asks what the ascension means. Neither Giles nor Wesley knows, but Willow remembers a reference in an obscure text. Giles asks where she found it, and she tells him in the top of his book cabinet where he keeps his books hidden because Giles thinks that she's not ready for the magic secrets in those books. Giles gets the book, looks at a short passage. It's from 1723. 
And the writer says, tomorrow is the ascension. God help us all. And Giles tells the group that that's the last anyone heard. And when someone says of the author, and he says no, of the entire town. Cordelia enters and asks Wesley if he can help her study Friday night. She has a paper to write for English class, and since he's from England, she wants to get an insider's perspective. She ends by saying she studies best in a good restaurant around 8-ish. And Xander says, and on the day the words flimsy excuse were redefined, we stood in awe and watched. As so often is the case, Cordelia provides some lightness and some fun in an otherwise dark episode. Wesley tells Buffy she should persuade the demon to loan them the books free of charge. Buffy says faith might be useful in the persuasion part, and Wesley agrees and asks where faith is anyway. We cut to the demon. He is hurriedly packing his things but he takes a moment to take his goldfish in a bowl off the shelf. This further humanizes him and makes us think that he is not such a bad guy for a demon. Also, his nervousness when faith bursts in is something that we can empathize with. At 10 minutes in, she punches him and he tells her he's willing to bargain about the price of the books. And he shows them to her. There's a number of old volumes. As she looks them over, he does a sort of sales pitch saying they're original editions and there's just a little bit of foxing, but they're in great condition. And the five grand is negotiable. Faith pulls out her knife and says, I don't like to haggle. She stabs him. He hits the floor. And we have been thinking of him almost as a harmless sort of demon. In fact, Buffy called him or said he looked harmless. But now he lets out this deep guttural growl and grabs her ankle. And there is a big fight. Faith really struggles here, and it ends with the demon on top of her. She stabs him again and again. She's breathing hard. And she does kill him and roll him off of her. And she looks at the blood on her hands and seems very shaken. We're now approaching one quarter of the way through the episode, and this is where we usually see our first major plot turn, which I think of as the one quarter twist. It should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. So about 11 minutes, 20 seconds in, Faith goes to Angel's mansion. She asks him for help. She still seems shaken. It doesn't seem like a lot of time has passed because she still has this blood on her hands. She tells him she's afraid. Angel says, start from the beginning. And Faith says, mind if I skip past the mom never loved me part and get right to it? And she shows him her hands with the blood on them and tells him it's not human blood, but that doesn't make her feel any better. And she's scared of what she's turning into, a cold-blooded, straight-up killer like you. Angel says she's not like him because she has a choice. Faith worries that maybe it's too late for her, but he tells her it's not Saying she's scared, she embraces him, they talk, but she stays way too close. And Angel says, I can be here for you, but not like that, all right? I'm with Buffy. 
Faith claims she didn't mean it like that, but then quickly says, well, maybe she did, but she won't press it, clearly still hoping that something will happen between them. Angel keeps a distance. She tells him she better go, but he's been a big help. Then she makes a last try and says, if things were different, does he think maybe things between the two of them would be different too? Angel gives the perfect answer to end the whole conversation. He says, we'll never know. And Faith says, right, how could we? She kisses him on the cheek and walks off. Buffy has come to the mansion. She looks in, sees this kiss and Faith walking away, and Buffy also leaves. At 14 minutes, 53 seconds in, we're at Faith's apartment, and she tells the mayor she tried, but all Angel is thinking about is Buffy. So we know that there was likely some scene between the demon killing and Angel, or perhaps before her killing the demon, where they talked about Faith trying to turn angel. The mayor is not distressed, he says, so Faith couldn't give him that one moment of true happiness. And he goes on, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I happen to know that's factually true. He continues that if they can't take away Angel's soul by happiness, they'll have to do it in the most painful way imaginable. In the next scene, Giles and Wesley are in the library lamenting that they are finding nothing more in the books about the ascension. And you can tell they've been at this a while. Giles decides he should contact the council who has more resources, but Wesley says no, um, that the council isn't entirely aware that he is letting Giles work for him. And he quickly amends that to that they're working together. And he doesn't think the council would be happy about that. And we get a wonderful Giles line, well, I wasn't about to burst into glorious song about it myself. Buffy comes into the library looking glum. Wesley tells her that she and Faith must find this demon. They need those books of ascension. She says she'll try to track him, but she doesn't want to wait for Faith, saying, that could be ours. The girl makes Godot look punctual. Wesley advocates for seeking Faith's help because finding the demon will be extremely difficult. Of course, at that moment, Xander walks in and says, I found your demon. He got the information from Willie the Snitch. First, he suggests that he beat up Willie, but then concedes that he bribed him. Faith walks in. Buffy says she can handle dealing with the demon herself, but Faith insists she goes along, saying, why should you get to have all the fun? Share, share, that's fair, right? Here is where on rewatch, I wonder if Giles and Buffy have already talked and hatched a plan. Or is Buffy still worried about Faith and Angel? Has Buffy talked to Angel? I think that she hasn't yet because of a scene that we'll see in just a bit with Willow. After Faith and Buffy leave, Xander says, is it me or did it just get really cold in here? At 18 minutes, 19 seconds in, Faith goes right into the demon's lair and Buffy says, be careful because she is thinking the demon might be in there. Of course, Faith knows he's dead. They see the wreckage, that the books are gone. Buffy comments that this wasn't just a hit on the demon to get the books, it was somebody's idea of a party. 
Faith looks troubled by that observation, and she says, maybe the guy put up a fight. We are now approaching the midpoint of the episode. Normally here, we would see a major commitment by the protagonist or the protagonist would suffer a major reversal. Because there are things we are not going to see as the audience, it's not as easy to pick out what that is here. And I think part of the mislead for the audience is that we get what looks like a reversal. But first we get a scene that more or less sets that reversal off at 19 minutes, 17 seconds in. So we're still a few minutes short of the halfway point. The mayor is in his office and he is offering a mint to a guy with a black cap and a black face covering over the lower half of his face. So we mainly see only his eyes, making it a little bit funny that the mayor keeps offering him these mints because you get the idea he never takes that face covering off and he says to the mayor in a very deep ominous voice you have risked great danger in calling on me the deadliest magics are needed to rob this creature of its soul but the mayor definitely does want that done and he offers the mints again So this could be the midpoint reversal for Buffy, but because of the way the episode plays out, I think we have a midpoint commitment of sorts by Buffy that we don't see. Also, even if this scene is something of a reversal, we don't know yet how it will play out. So I think the actual reversal comes a little bit later. First, we see Willow and Buffy at school. Willow asks Buffy what's wrong, and Buffy finally tells her she saw Faith at Angel's, and the two of them looked intimate, and Willow says, no way, to which Buffy responds, you're right, Faith would never do that. Willow is not exactly comforting on that point. She says, Faith would totally do that. Faith was built to do that. She's the do-that girl. I have been trying to look more closely at the dialogue, why it is so amazing in Buffy. And here, this one line by Willow is so striking because you have this repetition of the phrase, do that. Faith would totally do that, built to do that, and the do that girl. And normally, as a writer, I try not to repeat the same word too many times. That's true more so in narration or description. Certainly, there is more of a place for repetition in dialogue, sometimes because that is simply how that character speaks. But I'm fascinated by the way we get this line and its rhythm and its use of this phrasing. And we'll see this again later in the episode. Willow follows up by saying that Angel would never do that. And it's so clear how he feels about Buffy. Buffy is less sure because Angel isn't exactly vocal about his feelings. And Willow says, I too know the love of a taciturn man. And you have to look at their actions. And Buffy responds, I was. Willow asks, well, what did Angel say? And we get a wonderful line from Buffy that is so self-aware. She says, say, you mean when I straightforwardly asked him what was going on? 
It's so easy to relate to Buffy here. How many of us have, rather than saying what we want or asking what's going on, instead have walked away and imagined all kinds of worst case scenarios and turned things over in our minds and driven ourselves crazy. Even though we know it's better to find out, even if your fears are confirmed, at least you know what's going on and you can deal with it. And best case, you open up better communication, you get what you want, you are happier, and yet it can be so hard to do that. At least at least for me, maybe all of you are much more emotionally healthy than me and you would just straightforwardly ask. Willow, as always, is the great friend and tells Buffy to stop with the crazy and go talk to Angel. And Buffy goes. So here is where my best guess is we don't get to see some scene between Buffy and Angel and then perhaps between Buffy and Giles. And instead, we're told later that Buffy tried to go see Angel, but he wasn't there. And now we get... What I think is the reversal here, it's 22 minutes in, so a little bit past the midpoint, but almost exactly there. And Angel is at the fireplace, probably brooding, and we think Buffy's going to walk in based on the last scene, but instead it's Faith. And at first she apologizes for coming on to Angel, and he says it's okay, but he is still wary of her. And she says you don't trust me. Angel responds, it's not that. And Faith says, hey, no problem, join the club. She seems so serious about that line. To me, it comes through in the writing and the directing and the acting that Faith really does feel this way. Despite that she is tricking him at this very moment, she's angry that he doesn't trust her. Angel tells her it's important she has someone and says, I want to trust you. And Faith says, chump. I will be taking a two-week holiday break at the end of December. So the next episode will be on Monday, January 4th. 2021 and we can all celebrate 2020 being over by talking about earshot if you are finding this podcast helpful and you want to learn more about story structure or are looking for information about writing or publishing you can check out the articles on writingasasecondcareer.com You can also find free story structure worksheets there or through the link in the show notes. This line, Chump, suggests that she wasn't hurt by his lack of trust. In fact, that she looks down on him for even considering trusting her. But I still think it comes out of hurt and pain. And this is part of what Faith, why Faith is so interesting as a character. She is this mass of desire and need and fear and anger. But most of all, hurt. She has so much power and so much vulnerability and so many mixed feelings. And she conveys mixed messages to other people, to herself. It makes it almost impossible that she will get her needs met. And outside things do happen that are out of her control, that aren't her fault, that do make things worse. 
she is such a great example of the complex antagonist, the antagonist that we empathize with and hope can be redeemed or will be redeemed. I find these types of antagonists or villains so intriguing. It can be really fun to have clear-cut villains like the master in season one or even more so the mayor in season three because the mayor is a nuanced character, but we don't have any thought that the mayor is going to change course, that the mayor can be redeemed or ever would want to be. In fact, I think he'd be offended at the idea that he needs redemption. He is pursuing his path. Faith, on the other hand, seems to want all these different things. She wants the mayor's approval and love. She wants to show she doesn't need anybody. She wants power over people, but she wants them to embrace her and treat her as a friend. And we'll see more of that later. Right now, she throws blood onto Angel, the man or demon it's not clear what he is but in the black comes out and he's chanting and there's flashing lights and swirling lights angel looks like he's in pain he's saying no and he falls to the floor in a way that echoes that moment in the alley in innocence when angel lost his soul the chanting has stopped our guy in black has backed away and disappeared and angel stands goes into vamp face and grabs faith much like he grabbed that woman in the alley but with faith he kisses her and we cut to a commercial on the first watch this was horrifying I thought that Angel had changed I of course was hoping they would find a way to change him back quickly but this was a truly frightening moment we're at 24 minutes 42 seconds in and Angel says to Faith thanks so much and he punches her hard enough to knock her on the floor. He is so angelic, again, monologuing, joking about having the taste of the Slayer in his mouth again, and it's so good to be back, and to be back in Sunnydale with no tortured humanity to weigh him down, and he kicks and punches Faith again. She finally is able to get up, and he makes fun of her, uh, saying he can guess why she brought him back. She needs a new boy toy, and he tells her, sorry, it doesn't work that way, which even more than his attack on Faith convinces me that this is Angelus because he doesn't just want to kill people or feed on people. He wants to torture them in an emotional way as well. He is cruel. He's not going to have gratitude to Faith for bringing him back. She is the one who is there, and so she's the one he'll be cruel to and attack. Faith does briefly get the better of him, and she tells him last time he was like this, Buffy kicked his ass to hell. And if he wants it to be different this time, she can help. And he is interested. And this is a great argument for Faith to make. Probably the only thing that would capture Angelus's attention. And she says, I'll hook you up with the real power in this town. And they kiss. We cut to the library. Wesley is telling the group that they are at a disadvantage. The enemy always seems to be a step ahead. And they need to work together to defeat the mayor. 
He then asks where Angel is. Buffy says she went to the mansion, but he wasn't there. And Wesley then asks about Faith, and Buffy hasn't seen her anywhere either. Willow says, which means nothing, two unconnected events. Giles tells Buffy to go to the mayor's office and try to find the books of Ascension. They need to know what the mayor's up to, but don't confront him. Buffy says she will. She'll go home first to get weapons. Cordelia interjects, excuse me, I believe Wesley is running this meeting. Wesley, though, doesn't mind Giles taking the lead, but he does now ask Willow what she found in the mayor's files, and it turns out it's nothing because by the time she got them decrypted, they were all gone like he knew she was coming. A nice callback to Doppelgangland in the beginning when Faith saw Willow on the computer and asked what she was doing. Oz has a suggestion that they go to the Hall of Records, which should have paper. Giles suggests that Wesley take the group there, and Cordelia right away says, I'm in Wesley's group. Giles responds, there is just the one group. And Cordelia says, yes, and I'm in it which adds more lightness and fun to the episode. And it also gives Xander motivation for saying he will skip it, he's going to cruise the town, keep his ear to the ground, and he thinks that five is a crowd. Giles tells Buffy to be careful as she leaves, which on rewatching is a hint to me that maybe she and Giles do have a plan in place at this point. A little after 20 minutes in, Faith proudly shows off Angel to the mayor in the mayor's office and says, can I keep him? The mayor asks if he can call Angel, Angel. And Angel says, well, actually, I'm thinking more along the lines of you calling me master. As they talk, Angel drags a silver letter opener along the desk. The mayor notices him admiring the letter opener, and Angel responds, well, actually, I was thinking of stabbing you through the heart with it. And the mayor says, please do. Angel throws the letter opener right at the mayor's heart. The mayor blocks it with his hand and then shows Angel, after he pulls out the letter opener, how his hand heals. He explains he's impervious, he can't be killed or harmed, and it's a cornerstone of his plans. The mayor then questions Angel's intentions, and Angel says he plans to find the slayer who's giving the mayor so much trouble and torture, maim, and kill her. The mayor is glad Angel's not one of those slackers, tells him to torture Buffy, and killing her is okay too, but not too fast. They don't want a replacement slayer anytime soon, and he adds, they can't all turn out like my faith. David Boreanaz plays this scene so well. He is Angelus through and through, his mannerisms, his words. It is almost fun seeing Boreanaz play this role again. At almost 31 minutes in, Xander is walking down the street raving to himself about Wesley and Cordelia. He sees Faith and Angel and says, hey guys, and starts to tell them what Buffy is doing. Angel punches him hard enough in the face to knock him down and says, that guy just bugs me. I always took this as Angel is playing the part here. He is being Angelus. But I wonder on this watch whether Angel also punched him just in case Xander was going to say something that would give Faith too much information. 
At 31 minutes, 6 seconds in, Joyce answers her door and lets Angel and Faith in. He calls her Joyce. This is different. As Angel, Angel always calls her Mrs. Summers. So we are getting not just the large and obvious cues that Angelus is back, but even in these very minor ways, which is great work on the part of the writers to weave this in and makes it more and more frightening to the audience because this seems like Angelus. Joyce says, please tell me it's not some vampire thing. And Angel responds, the only vampire here is me, Joyce. They go upstairs to Buffy's room. She is finishing packing her bag of weapons. Faith tells her they have books at the mansion and that they would have taken him to Giles themselves, but she thinks strength in numbers is the way to go. And there is this moment where Angel goes to Buffy and he stands a little behind her and he kind of smells her hair and kisses her hair while looking at Faith. And all of this drew me back to that scene in Immense in Buffy's bedroom where Angel is being tormented by the first in the form of Jenny Callender urging him to attack Buffy and Buffy knows that something is very wrong with him. There's no direct reference to it but it has so much of that same feel that it adds to the fearfulness of this scene for the audience and I believe for Buffy. Whichever way we read this on first watch we know Buffy is concerned about Faith and Angel and must be sensing something wrong. But I also think on rewatch, when we realize this is the start of her part in this drama they are playing out for Faith, but how does Buffy know if Angel has changed or not? Because let's say their plans all went awry and Angel really changed. He would, as Angelus, know the plan and probably do things exactly as he and Buffy agreed to set her off her guard. So we are now getting to the three-quarter turn in the episode. This is the last major plot turn. It should grow out of the midpoint and take the story in yet another new direction. At 32 minutes, 15 seconds in, at the mansion, Buffy looks around and says, where are the books? And Angel says, actually, there's been a slight change in plans, Buff. And she says, Buff, you just called, what's the matter with you? And he tells her nothing. As a matter of fact, I haven't felt this good in a long time. And she says, Angel? He goes on about how he never thanked her for sending him to hell. She tells him she'll kill him and turns to Faith and says, we need to get out of here. And Faith responds, speak for yourself, B. Me? I like it here. Angel knocks Buffy out and says she's so cute when she's sleeping. And we cut to a commercial. So this definitely spins the story both ways that we look at it. In first watch, it takes it in a new direction because now Buffy is in great danger. We thought she was already thinking that Angel had turned, but now it seems he has knocked her out and she is under the power of Faith and Angel. If we look at this on rewatch, knowing that Angel and Buffy are playing Faith, it is still a turn because this is 
what will lead to them trying to get information from faith. And it does grow out of the midpoint, whether we see it as Angel losing his soul on first watch, the mayor's plans to do that coming to fruition, or whether we see it on rewatch as some sort of commitment Buffy made at the midpoint to engage in this drama. When we return, we are at the Hall of Records. Cordelia is bored, but Oz finds something, a photo of Mayor Wilkins from a century ago. And remember, this Mayor Wilkins, I think, is Richard Wilkins III. So the initial thought is, oh, this is his father or grandfather. And Willow looks at it and says, like father, like son. And Oz says, How about like exact same guy, like exact same guy? And they conclude Mayor Wilkins is over 100 years old and he's not human. Xander enters. He says he doesn't want to spoil the mood, but everything is so much worse than they all think. And he goes on, you know how some people hate to say I told you so? Not me. I told you so. Angel's back in the really bad sense. And, uh... I told you so. So here we have again that use of the same phrase three times, the I told you so. He tells them what happened. Wesley says they have to contact Giles. And Xander is angry and says, sure, let's waste time with lively debate. Because his view is they have to act now. Cordelia sticks up for Wesley saying it's not his fault because Xander hasn't told them everything yet. And Xander says, well, it is Wesley's fault that Faith was Wesley's responsibility and guess who is Angel's new playmate? And Willow says, Faith and Angel together? And Xander responds, imagine the possibilities, which is our lead in to the next scene. Buffy comes to. It looks like Angel is locking her chains. We hear this click that seems to be handcuffs. And Faith is looking very happy. And she tells Buffy everything feels so right. And maybe it's one of those unhappy childhood things. And she specifically talks about asking for a dog and never getting it and how she just wanted something to love. And she grabs Angel and kisses him. This reference to a dog and connecting with Angel reminds me of Angel being called the puppy in The Wish. And I think that that has to be purposeful. Buffy squeezes her eyes shut when she sees them kissing. When she opens them again, Faith reveals her tools for torture. Buffy tells her Angel's a killer. When he's done with Buffy, he'll turn on her. And Angel says, she's right. I probably will. But Faith isn't phased. She says she'll just have to keep Buffy around for a while. And Buffy asks why. What's in it for Faith? And Faith goes on about how when she came to Sunnydale, did her job as the Slayer, all anyone ever talked about is Buffy. And who did they thank? Buffy. And everyone always asked if she could be more like Buffy. And Faith says, but did anyone ever ask if you could be more like me? And Angel says, I know I didn't. And she turns and gives him this look. This so fits Angelus because he is cruel to everyone. And I feel like that took Faith 
somewhat by surprise. She did not know Angelus, and you get the feeling that she really thought, despite him initially attacking her, um, that ultimately he would be a sort of partner for her. Faith goes on this rant about how this was supposed to be her town, but Buffy gets everything, the mom, the watcher, the Scooby gang. We're now a little past 37 minutes in, and we start our climax where the opposing forces have their final clash and the main conflict resolves. Today's podcast is sponsored by Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out. No matter what type of fiction you write or want to write, it's the characters that draw readers in. If the reader doesn't care about them, the most gripping plot won't carry the day. So how do you get your readers to care? Character diagrams, checklists, and charts can take you only so far. You need to know your characters and love or hate them just as you do real people, which means learning about your characters from the inside out. In this book, you'll explore your characters lives, loves, and values, so you can understand their hopes and fears, learn what drives them to do what they do, and create living, breathing characters rather than cardboard cutouts. Creating compelling characters from the inside out uses questions and prompts designed to help you peer into your characters' hearts and minds. And examples from popular books and classics, including Gone Girl, Stephen King's The Dead Zone, and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Are you ready to create real, engaging characters that will keep your readers turning pages? Download Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out today or order the workbook edition. You can find a link in the show notes or find this book and other books on writing craft at writingasasecondcareer.com or in the nonfiction tab on my author website, Lisa lily.com Faith starts goading her about how Buffy thinks she's better than Faith and says, say it, you think you're better than me. And clearly she is thinking Buffy isn't going to say that. And Buffy says, I am, always have been. So I see that as the start of the climax because this is where Faith is pushed to start revealing things. Buffy taunts her about her boss's lame ascension and Buffy claims to not be worried because she'll be able to stop it. And Faith says no, Buffy can't. That the mayor built the town for demons to feed on. That come graduation day he's getting paid and all her little friends will be kibbles and bits. And think about that when her boyfriend is cutting into her and Buffy says I never knew you had so much rage in you faith responds what can I say I'm the world's best actor and angel says second best so you could also see this as the start of the climax because now faith knows that Buffy and angel are playing her and the rest is action and direct and clear conflict Buffy and angel agree that they know everything faith knows and Buffy Freeze her arms, the chains drop, and she says, psych. Faith can't believe it. She's angry. Buffy's friends burst in. 
Faith shoves Angel toward them. Buffy and Faith fight. They end facing each other on their knees, their knives at each other's throats. And Faith says, what are you going to do, B? Kill me? You become me. You're not ready for that. And she grabs Buffy's face, kisses her forehead, and says, yet, and takes off. Now we are in the falling action part of the story where we tie up loose ends and resolve subplots. And there is quite a bit here. At 39 minutes, 55 seconds in, in the library, the man in black says his debt to Giles is now repaid and don't contact him again. Giles says something like, thank you for coming to me. And also thanks him for the light show he put on. After he's gone, Willow asks what was the debt. And Giles says, I introduced him to his wife. Which is a really fun, nice light moment. Because we're expecting something ominous. Perhaps something from uh, Giles' Ripper days. And instead, it's this very mundane thing. Wesley is angry. He objects to them putting on a dangerous charade, pitting Slayer against Slayer, especially without telling Wesley. And he says he'll have to inform the council. And Giles agrees that he should. They have a rogue Slayer, and he can't think of anything more dangerous. Buffy says at least now they know, and that they know a little more about the Ascension Willow says it's good that Angel's not really bad. Xander uh, is not as thrilled. He points out, oh, it's so great to know his face got punched in for a good cause. And Buffy tells him it was just an act. And she's clearly talking to herself as much as Xander. We then go to the mayor and Faith. He is philosophical. He says, you win some, you lose some. And so she lost some of her friends. And Faith says she wouldn't exactly call them friends, but she is clearly upset. And he tells her she'll always have him, and he's the best and most important friend she'll ever have. Faith still looks glum, and he tells her he knows what will cheer her up. Two words, miniature golf. He laughs, she raises her eyebrows, and then she shakes her head and laughs a little. So complex and interesting, this interaction. The mayor, on the one hand, there is such an echo of an abusive relationship, that idea, well, you don't need anyone else. I'm your best friend. I'll always be there for you. I don't know that he was actively trying to cut her off from her friends, but that is the effect. On the other hand, Faith can't both keep Buffy and the Scooby gang as her friends and be working for and with the mayor. And this is another great example of her conflicting desires. If she were truly all in with the mayor, it wouldn't matter to her that now they know the truth about her other than in terms of strategy issues and whether that will make things difficult for the Ascension. But that does not seem to be what's upsetting her. The mayor also does get Faith out of her dark mood. It's among the only times we see Faith uh, smiling and looking genuinely happy are some of these moments with the mayor. And we want that for her, which makes her more, even more compelling. 
Now we switch to the mansion. It's dark. There's candles burning. 42 minutes, 23 seconds in, and Buffy comes there to see Angel, but she keeps her distance from him. And when he moves closer, she steps back, and she says she knows he only did what she asked him to do, and they got what they wanted. He tells her he never wanted it to go that far, and she says she knows, but she needs a break. And as she's on her way out, Angel says, are you still my girl? And she responds, always. An echo of what he wrote in that book of poetry to her in Helpless on her birthday. He wrote, always. This is also so much like the end of Lover's Walk, the episode where Spike came back to town and told them that they're not friends, that they'll be in love until it kills them. And Buffy realized it was true. And at the end, she told Angel she couldn't be with him. These scenes are so similar. Which raises a question from a writing standpoint. Normally, you don't want to just repeat the same conflict. It can, it can feel like, hey, we have already done this. Much like I felt wasn't working in amends. I felt like they were, to some extent, retreading ground they had already covered. Here, though, it works better for me because it feels like an escalation. In Lover's Walk... Buffy was saying, I can't do this, but it was more her realizing, hey, I'm telling everyone we're not together again. It's not really a romance and we're, we're friends, but she realizes she wants more than that. But here, this experience has brought home to her, even if she was certain the whole time that Angel was playing the part, and I think she must have had some questions. I mean, it was dangerous. It could have really been Angelus. And I think it brought home to her two things. One, it brought her back to how horrible that was and how she had to kill Angel and ha- and, and the idea of having to do it again, which she did go through and amends, but this is seeing him as Angelus and he played the part so well it had to feel so real even after she realized her chains were not fastened that she could get free but the other thing which I didn't think about till this watch is it raises the issue of is there another way Angel could lose his soul so it's not only that If she and Angel made love, he could lose his soul. But there is this dark magic out there that could cause that to happen. That's never dealt with textually in the episode. And I'm not even sure that that was meant to be part of it. But it struck me, this is so real now to her. So it is an escalation. And that is the end of the episode. I can't talk about this episode without talking about the fake out of the audience and whether the show is playing fair with the viewers. It is not just faith being fooled, it is the audience because we are not being shown certain things. I always thought until this watch that that's what didn't quite work for me about this episode, that I didn't like the fake out. And I will get to that, whether that is playing fair or not. But on this watch, looking at it for those plot turns, what really doesn't work for me 
is that midpoint turn. So much of it is driven by chance, which generally by the midpoint of the story, we really want it to be driven by the protagonist's choice and actions. And here, this entity that robbed Angel of his soul, this veiled guy, It appears that it was just chance that the mayor called on him to do this dark magic. He happened to know Giles and owe him a favor and went to Giles. And we know that because Giles says, thank you for coming to me. So it leaves me with this sense that all that really saved us from Angel turning into Angelus again was good luck. And the show never deals with that. It would work better, I think, if in fact that was part of what was troubling Buffy. If she is like there but for fortune, we would have really been in that place. Like if if we hadn't just had this bit of sheer random good luck, you would have been Angelus again. So that's that's what it turns out mostly doesn't work for me here. I don't like that aspect of luck. The thing is, I don't know what else you would do because to have it really come out of Buffy's actions, we would have to see that she goes to see Angel or at least find out later she goes to see Angel. Together, they realize what Faith is trying to do. They go to Giles and Giles says, there's only one demon or person or a shaman, whatever it is in all the world who can do this. Let's go and make some kind of deal with that person let's trade with them and enact this charade. And and that's a lot to backfill later. That's much more complicated, but that would make this the protagonist's actions and choices instead of this randomness. Or as I said, if we dealt with the randomness, which would almost make that part of a reversal for Buffy, the fact that Angel could potentially lose his soul so very easily and they barely squeaked by with stopping it. Back to the fake out part, it's harder to do a fake out in a novel because we have access to characters' thoughts. So then it really some seems unfair if our protagonist is holding back information from the reader. You can have an unreliable narrator, but to be playing fair with the reader so that the reader doesn't feel cheated at the end, you need to throw in some hints that this narrator is unreliable. So for instance, um, in The Girl on the Train, the protagonist is a big drinker. And so we get hints from her, we get outright statements from her that she is not sure of her own perceptions. So it tells us maybe the story we're getting is highly filtered. Or I read a James Patterson book where the narrator just out and out said in the beginning, you know, I am not the most reliable of, uh, I don't know if he used the word narrator, but basically just said, hey, I, I lie a lot. Something that cues us that, hey, we're not seeing the whole story. In a TV show, a movie, a visual medium, it is a little bit easier to do the mislead because we don't have access to the character's thoughts. But normally, if we're in Buffy's point of view, we know what Buffy knows. And here, the show not only doesn't tell us what Buffy knows, it omits scenes, but doesn't cue us that more time has passed. So initially, I had to look really closely to see, could you even fit in time-wise the things that would have to happen behind the scenes? I think that you could. 
But Buffy keeps her friends in the dark, and I can't see any real reason for that other than we don't want to tell the viewers. So she doesn't tell Xander or Willow. I guess there's an argument for not telling Wesley because Wesley, we know, has acted in ways that are contrary to Buffy and Giles' plans. So maybe the justification is they didn't want Wesley to know and therefore they weren't going to tell anyone else. A few things from the DVD. There was an interview with Joss Whedon and Doug Petrie where they talked about enemies. Joss said it was answering a question a lot of people had, which was when is Angel going to go bad again? He also commented on Faith being the first really human monster in Buffy, but that there is this real father-daughter relationship between the mayor and Faith and a real tenderness there and that it was such a counterpoint to all their plans to kill all these people and wipe out the town and he compared it to the way Spike and Drew we see them with this this close relationship this love and vulnerability and yet they are these villains who think nothing of killing and torturing people. Doug Petrie commented that the television show Wise Guy was an inspiration for this episode. I am not familiar with that show, but apparently it had to do with undercover, being undercover. And he said the question was, how far undercover is acceptable and what does working undercover do to people? So he used the example of angel punching Xander. Is that okay? And then more so that they left it to conjecture how far sexually things went with faith because we get angel saying that i didn't uh he says something like i didn't mean it to go that far and then doug petrie ended with how the plan worked but it really messed up buffy and angel as a couple so that is it other than spoilers and foreshadowing I hope you will stick around for that, but if not, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will come back on Monday, January 4th for Earshot, the episode where Jonathan plays a significant role and the entire school is in danger. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. To pick up on that last point Doug Petrie made that we don't know how far things went between Angel and Faith, that is not answered unless you cross over and watch Angel. So double spoiler warning, I'm going to talk a little about the show Angel. And there, there is a conversation between Faith and Angel where it becomes clear that they never slept together. But we don't know what else happened. And we will see a sort of echo of this in season four with Riley when we have the body switching episode and Faith does have sex with Riley. So this is this theme of of Faith trying to take over this part of Buffy's life and how Buffy feels about that. In this episode, we also see Wesley talking about how the council won't like him and Giles working together. And this foreshadows the council refusing to help Buffy when Angel is poisoned. I think we already knew the council is is not Buffy's friend, clearly, not Giles' friend, but this is yet another kind of brick in that wall. 
Willow and the band books. She gets to them even though Giles has kept them out of the way, partly because of the magic in them he thinks she's not ready for. There are a couple things this foreshadows. One is Willow. When she needs more power, she goes to the books in the magic shop. She puts her hands on the books and just absorbs everything and her eyes go black. We will also see Dawn in season five getting the book. She says to Giles, she's helping at the magic shop, and she says to Giles something like, oh, is there anything I should stay away from, you know, anything to keep customers away from? And he says, oh, yes, the book's up in the loft. Keep away from those. So Giles, he doesn't learn his lesson with any of this because Don, of course, as soon as he's gone, climbs up and goes into those books to look for a spell to try to bring Joyce back from the dead. So Giles, really, he ought to start catching on here. The major foreshadowing here is Faith saying, what are you going to do, B? Kill me? You become me. You're not ready for that, which foreshadows so much of Buffy's choices when she tries to kill Faith later in the season. And finally, the Buffy and Angel relationship, this definitely foreshadows that it will end. Although Angel gives her a different reason in the prom, he talks more about she should have a normal life. What really puts it over the edge is that he feeds on her. I I feel like that is what truly decides him. Yes, he was planning to leave, but after he feeds on her and almost kills her, It is so clear. Angel is a danger to Buffy. I mean, he's a danger to a lot of people, but he is specifically a danger to Buffy. And this foreshadows that. So that is it for the spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening and for supporting the podcast. I look forward to talking with you about Earshot on Monday, January 4th. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. 